0: Unstoppable Success Radio, episode 167. Welcome to Unstoppable Success Radio. I am your host, Kelly Roach, and I am thrilled and honored to have with me here today, Stever Robbins. Stever, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Excited to have you on. So, I had a hard time narrowing down what exactly to share about you with the audience because your depth and breadth of what you've accomplished and what you've done has been so incredible. But I do have just a couple quick things I want to share with everybody. So, Stever is an inventor and entrepreneur veteran of 10 startup companies. He's the co-designer of the Foundations Module of Harvard Business School's MBA program. He's a certified master trainer elite of NLP and a graduate of both MIT. MIT, and Harvard Business School. He's currently working on a series of online and offline workshops to give people the skills to live an extraordinary life. So, Seaver, welcome to the show. Thanks for making Thank time you. for us today. My pleasure. I'm, I'm a little bit tired after reading that bio, to be honest with you, because <laughs> you're all over the place and you're doing so much great work in the world. Um, I'm, I'm really glad you could make some some space and time for us.
1: Sure. It just occurred to me, too. I didn't mention my podcast. I'm also a podcaster. Oh,
0: awesome.
1: My podcast is called The Get It Done Guy, and it's at iTunes.com. Oh,
0: perfect. So that's a great way that people can follow up after uh, we dig into everything that we're going to cover here today. So, you know, I think it's really interesting with the whole like Harvard background and everything that you've studied and experienced and been through on the business side that you've now really put this huge emphasis on kind of something a bit esoteric in, in the fact that you're helping people really to understand and master the tools and the right actions to build an extraordinary life. Like, tell me a little bit about how you decided to take all of your experience and knowledge and and channel it into that in particular.
1: It's really come about two different different ways. One is through uh, sheer disillusionment with the eternal pursuit of materialistic everything. I have essentially noticed that most of my friends and a lot of the people that I know from the Harvard Business Schools and the MITs of the world have in fact achieved what most people would consider success. And a significant percentage of them have basically said, okay, I got this and it's not satisfying and this was the right. wrong course to orient my life around. Right. So that's that's coming from the direction of people who have achieved what most people would consider extreme success aren't necessarily they don't necessarily feel like their life is particularly great. It's just what they did. Right. And then from the other way around, um, I've noticed that, That a lot of the stuff that I take for granted, a lot of the knowledge that I take for granted because I did go to Harvard Business School and I'm trained in analytic techniques and how to do business thinking, the average person knows nothing about how to think that way. The problem is that a tremendous number of businesses, including everyone who's self-employed and so on and so forth, need to know enough about how to think that way. And I realized there's this whole set of tools, techniques, and approaches to the world that's taught in business schools, which does not make its way out into common daily life. And in the I have a one on one executive coaching practice, which is has been my primary business for several years before shifting into the ideas unleashed idea, which is the online workshop, online and offline workshops. And in the executive coaching practice, one of the excuse me. And in the executive coaching practice. One of the things that I have found is that a lot of people are stalled or stuck in creating the life that they want, and there are plenty of tools out there that would help. It's just those tools were never taught to them. Tools like how to structure a deal or how to even identify what you're good at and be able to use that to spot opportunities. Where instead of having coming up with some idea and going, oh, wouldn't it be great if somebody invented this thing? You realize that you actually have the insight and the knowledge that it takes to be able to invent that thing. And maybe the only missing piece is, gee, how can I take that thing and market it and get it out to, to turn it into a business? And that is the kind of knowledge that, again, is just taught in business school. So I came at this from two directions. Direction number one people who had success weren't feeling fulfilled. And direction number two, people who were pursuing fulfillment or ideas or creativity didn't necessarily have the business skills to be able to build a life around it. And so I had to relegate those things to the backseat. And I'd like to take both of those groups of people and help them essentially find a good halfway point where they can pursue fulfillment and meaning and awesomeness and community and all those great things and be able to do it in a way that is systematic, that creates value for themselves and everyone around them, and that is specifically value that turns into money that they can get a piece of so, so that they can eat while they live their amazing, fulfilling, meaningful life.
0: I absolutely love that. I feel like our hearts are connected. And to me, it's it's so wonderful to hear someone that, you know, has had that experience, that depth of, you know, 10 startup companies, huge business success, but also that Harvard education behind you. Sharing this message, which is what I, I talk about this on the show so frequently, which is that if you pursue a one-sided aspect of anything in which you compromise everything to attain something, you'll you'll end up being unhappy even if you attain it right so it's like how do we create a balanced approach to creating the life that we want where career and business success is one piece of it but relationships and connection fulfillment and those other things are a part of it as well and obviously you're now teaching this in these workshops that you're doing so talk to us a little bit about you know how to get intentional and how to start you know coming up with the right pieces, the right thought process to begin this journey of creating an extraordinary life?
1: Well, the first thing is you need to decide what extraordinary means to you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a decision. Sometimes it is something that comes from deep within you. I'm an extraordinarily left-brained person. I'm one of those people who, you know, they say, oh, so-and-so is stuck in their head. Yeah, I'm so stuck in my head that I could like I could catch my foot in a bear trap and I wouldn't notice for another 10 or 15 (laughs) seconds. I'd I'd look down and go, that's interesting. My foot's missing. Oh, I must be in pain. Ow. And what I found is that people in my situation tend to say things like, hmm, I need to figure out what I want. Well, wanting is not a figuring out exercise. Wanting is a feeling exercise. There are things you want and there are things you don't. And you need to learn to pay enough attention to your feelings that you can ident- identify which are the things that you want and which ones don't. And to people who are in touch with their feelings, they're probably listening to this thinking, oh, my goodness gracious, what an emotional cripple this person maybe must be. And you know what? They're absolutely right. <laughs> I'm, um, I actually have had to learn, and it is still really easy for me to lose it, uh, I have had to learn how to pay enough attention to my emotions to know what the heck I want. Now, conversely, there's a lot of people, but but the part that I'm really good at is the how-to piece. Once I know what I want, I can engage my analytic brain, and my analytic brain is really good at finding solutions and charting paths and being organized. Yeah, so...
0: Wait, just to circle back for one second. So, because I, I think this is so interesting, you know, you you said about yourself maybe not being in touch with your emotions, but you know, I think that with the pace of everyday life and what people have on their plates today, that the average person is really not in tune with their emotions. So, I don't think that that's such a foreign thing or something that that's you know so unique about you, Stevie. I think that really the average person out there does not even have the time built into their day to. To reflect and acknowledge and breathe into their emotions to even have absolute clarity on what they want from a positive standpoint. So, you know, let me kind of break that down for a second. You know, I think a lot of people know what they don't like about their life and know what they don't want more of or what they have a distaste for or what they're annoyed or frustrated by. What I don't think they have a lot of clarity around is being in tune with what actually brings them joy and happiness. And, you know, then like you said, getting clear on that and then creating an action plan for the how to. So I think that's a good point for you to raise for the listeners, because I don't think a lot of people are absolutely clear on what they do want. And, you know, are there any exercises or any specific things that you did for yourself um, in this process? And obviously you're now helping many, many other people to do the same in getting clear Um, On what you do want and approaching it from a positive standpoint versus the focus on what you dislike, don't want, are frustrated by, etc.
1: Well, there's a couple of steps to that. Um, Step number one, and I am totally serious about this, put down your cell phone, lock it in a box and walk outside for a day without being connected. Um, from what I have noticed, all of the time, to the extent that people ever did any kind of personal reflection, the time that they used to do that would be when they were wandering around, when they had a few free minutes, when they just had to sit and think. And now we have devices that are consciously made by engineers whose goal is to distract you. That is the explicit goal is to addict you to their device so that you will be able to see more ad impressions because that's how they make their money. But Uh, The problem with being addicted to a device is you're spending all of your time paying attention to this thing that they want you to pay attention to and not paying attention to what's important to you, which is you and your life and the things you want out of life. So, number one, disconnect. Uh, And I just got back from Burning Man uh, my first time. It was awesome. And and, And I chose not to be connected during that time. And it was amazing because within two hours of being back and being on Facebook and tweeting and checking email, I could actually feel my brain starting to fragment. Mm -hmm. It had been great for a week and a half. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, now I'm trying to juggle a thousand things at once. And um, it it just became really, really disruptive. Uh, So, one is get rid of the technology for a while, because you will never figure out what you want as long as you're connected to technology that is trying to convince you at every turn to pay attention to what someone else wants. Second, and these exercises I got straight out of the book, How to Find Your Own North Star by Martha Beck, uh, sit down and deliberately do things like think of things that make you happy. Like, what are the things in your life? Oh, Oreo ice cream cake, Oreo ice cream cake makes me happy. Um, going out to, uh, going out with friends to movies makes me happy, learning a new language or actually not learning a new language, learning to sightseeing, made me happy, uh, acting makes me happy. So I make a list of these things and I think about them. And then as I think about them, I notice how I feel, oh look, I'm smiling, oh, I have this nice warm feeling in my chest. Then think about a bunch of things that suck, right, like, oh, one of the things that sucks is when my bank charges me an overdraft fee because I've put the money in the wrong account. Ooh, that sucks. Another thing that sucks is is when they're doing construction across the street and they wake me up. So I think of a whole bunch of things that suck, and I notice, hmm, when something sucks, I have a, a different feeling, a more tense feeling, and it's more towards the outer areas of my torso. So literally, I'm paying attention to my body's response to these different kinds of things. Then I start brainstorming about what do I think I might like? Um, and, and, you know, gee, do I want to pursue a, pursue rock climbing? Well, I think about rock climbing and you know what, the feelings that I get are the same feelings that I get when I think about the positive things. So that's a signal to me that rock climbing might be the thing to do. What's interesting. I, um, did I tell you the story about how I got into musical theater?
0: A little bit. A little bit. But but share it. Share it with the audience because I, I love that you're so multi-passionate and that you have all these different things going on in completely different oh. areas of your life. It's great.
1: Okay. Well, here's what happened is I went to go see a show. Uh, some friends of mine said, hey, you want to come see this musical? And I went with my friends to see this musical. It was a college production. Uh, and I I we saw the show and I walked out of the show and I burst into tears and i was like oh this is interesting i seem to be crying isn't that <laughs> normally crying is associated with unpleasant events i wonder what's going on here it took me a month to figure it out because i spent the next month in this state of like semi depression and what w- and what happened was was after this had been going on for a month and i know all these amazing psychological techniques and i was trying all of them to get to the root of this and find out what my what was causing this reaction, couldn't come up with anything. And then about a month into it, I was pacing back and forth in my office because I work from home and this, this weird depression, whatever it was, was getting in the way of my being able to work. And I was talking out loud to the wall. And at one point, I turned to the wall and said, what the heck is my brain trying to tell me that I should be doing musical theater or something? And all of a sudden, I felt great. Wow. And... I was like, no, no, that did not just happen. So then I thought about the things I had been thinking about before, felt horrible. Thought about musical theater, felt great. Literally, I had to observe myself having those reactions and then it, it still took another year before I was in my first show. But that was a pivotal moment and it came about not because I actually knew what the feelings were trying to tell me, uh, the feelings were giving me a strong signal I was sufficiently clueless. that. I, you know, was almost trial and error until I finally hit the right combination of words. At which point, my brain said, "Yay! You have finally discovered the answer." As a reward, you will feel awesome. Now go audition for something.
0: Wow, that is amazing. And I love that story, because I think that so many people um, always feel like, you know, it's too late to start something new, or I'm too tied down, or I'm too far deep down this path, or, you know, it's not realistic, quote unquote. And I think that's just a perfect example of like, listen to what makes you happy get in tune with your own body like pay attention to your emotions like we I think as humans put ourselves in such a tight box all the time and we just don't allow ourselves to just be who we're meant to be and enjoy what we enjoy and do more of what makes us happy it's sometimes we like punish ourselves into like mediocrity of staying the same when it's like a simple shift or a simple decision that can open up this whole new world of happiness for us I love that story so much, Seaver.
1: Well, let, let me tell you. So, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I don't know if it's a human thing or if it's an American thing, because America it seems to be very, very big on, on this whole business about how how we exist only to be cogs in, in oh, the appropriate yes. business, mm-hmm. and other countries are not necessarily like that. That's a, a very American thing. Um But speaking of cogs, you know how they say that everyone is a special snowflake and you bring your own special snowflakeness to the world? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm afraid. I actually disagree. I think everyone is born with the potential to be a special mm-hmm. snowflake. And a significant fraction, at least of Americans, I can't speak for other countries, but a significant fraction of people voluntarily elect to become a cog instead uh-huh. of a special snowflake. Right, because all you have,
0: right there. <laughs> That's it.
1: All you have to do is chop the arms off a snowflake, and you have a cog, uh... and it fits perfectly inside someone else's special snowflake that they're building. And you know, it it amazes me because I um I was on public transportation once and listening to two people sitting in the seat next to me discussing a job interview that they were going to, and what was what was so interesting to me was that their entire discussion. I don't know exactly how to describe it. I don't know what the word is. Their discussion was entirely from a point of view of, of, in essence, uh, I'm just a poor, inexperienced person on my way to prostrate myself, prostrate myself, <laughs> prostate is something different, on my way to prostrate myself in front of an employer and hope that they shower their largesse upon me and thus offer me a job. Uh and the entire dynamic now they were these were very intelligent lively excited people I, you know we're we're talking about these were these were people who clearly had their act together yeah. but the but the fundamental assumption that they were making was that their life was not theirs to control and that the way that they could get the only way that they had to get what they want was to hope that somebody external would take mercy and give it to them and i was just struck by that because The other way of putting it, the other way of thinking is not, oh, I hope these people give me a job. The other way of putting it is, I'm going to go check out these people and find out if they're people I want to work with.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And to take it a step further, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show. I had someone that said to me the other day, and I apologize because I can't remember who it was. It was maybe one of my other guests, but they said, you know, to be in business for yourself is to take total and complete ownership of your life because you you are made or broken on your own efforts and you're taking accountability for you know living out whatever it is that you feel like your purpose is choosing to be that special snowflake choosing to figure out what your gifts are and not being able to place the the blame or accountability on anyone else's shoulders but your own right
1: yes and let me go one more step with that because i've been through a lot of startups and i have only been a principal entrepreneur i've only been one of the original founders a couple of times most of the time i've joined the team when it was anywhere from 0 to 10 people and one of the things that I have discovered about myself is there are certain sacrifices I'm just not willing to make. Mm-hmm. So I I am not, I am no longer at this stage of my life interested in working 60 hours a week. Yep. Now, I think about my business 60 hours a week, but I pretty much leave the office every night at 530 and go work out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know people in their 20s who are entrepreneurs and man, they, they just do, you know, they're just like, go, 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 100 hours a week. And- And I think another part of being an entrepreneur is you have to decide, well, not have to decide, you do decide where the balance is for you. And it is your responsibility. I may, in fact, be trading off money that I could be making because I want to leave every day at 530. And interestingly enough, I still seem to be leaving every day at 530. So right,
0: right, but yeah.
1: behaviorally, it's more important to me to have a life than it is to work that extra 40 hours a week or the extra 20 hours a week or whatever it is that entrepreneurs are supposed to work and maybe grow my business faster. Yeah. Um, you know, and part of that is just, I'm tired. I've done, I've been through this 10 times, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I no longer have the energy to, uh, to work, but I also have other interests. You know, right. I like, I like to be in shape. I'm in shape for the, I'm really, I'm in like really good shape for the first time in my life. And I'm like, you know what, weird as it sounds, looking in the mirror and seeing that body is worth not working another 20 hours a week so that I can go to the gym and exercise and eat mm-hmm. well and do things like that. So when you talk about taking full, and, complete responsibility for your life it's not just taking full and complete responsibility for your business it's taking full and complete responsibility for the trade-offs that you're making and realizing that those trade-offs do have real consequences so if you decide you are going to to work 60 hours a week and that is going to keep you from attending your kids little league game or whatever the stereotypical is it soccer i don't know which sport parents are supposed to attend these (laughs) days whichever one it is um uh you know, you may, you may say the words, I value time with my family, but if in fact you're working instead, the reality, and this, again, this is about observing your own behavior. The reality is you value work more yeah. and that that's just the reality. And there's no reason to feel bad about it or to be ashamed of it. Now you don't have to tell people cause they might think the wrong things, but um, understand that the way you know what you value is by looking at your behavior and how you use your time. Yeah. So if you want to value your family, the way to do it is by saying no to a Saturday business meeting and instead going to your kids little league and saying no could mean losing the deal. Right. Like, let's be really clear about that. But if you if you have a circumstance where you can have it all, where you can have the deal and attend your kids game, you don't have to make any trade-offs. That's that's the that is the unfortunately simplistic case that everyone wants life to be. But the reality of life is that you have to make trade-offs and it's the trade-offs you make that show you what's that show you what values you're honoring. It's not what you think your trade offs would be if you could somehow live this mystical set of values that you're fantasizing about but not actually living.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, I mean, I think what we're kind of coming back here to with with this entire discussion – is really, are you taking ownership of your own happiness? Because we're talking about value systems, we're talking about how we choose to use our time, we're talking about whether we live out the things that we we want and and value and and desire, or are we you know fitting in someone else's box? Are we making the choices to do more of the things that make us happy versus not? And you know, I think the discussion about entrepreneurship is an important one as well because you know I think there's seasons, right? I, I talk about this a lot on the show. There's seasons, so there's a season to double down and, and make work your top priority. There's a season to make your family your top priority. There's a season to focus on your health and wellness. You know, obviously all of those things are important at each stage, but maybe they they are prioritized differently depending on where you're at. But I think um, comparison is, is probably the greatest disease in our culture. And I think it's about figuring out what season you're in and what's going to bring you the most happiness in this season and the next one and then and then choosing and being proactive and intentional about it versus allowing kind of the tidal wave to take you away.
1: Yeah. And I would add one more thing to that, which is around the comparison, certainly, that you're mentioning, uh, is that when you're comparing, regardless of which season you're in at any given moment be very careful about whether you're comparing your outcomes or your efforts or your circumstances with someone else. Because one of the things that they say about Harvard Business School of Reunions, they say, well, once you're five years out, then you, you, you do all this comparing when you come back for a reunion. And when you're 10 years out, then it's all about one-upsmanship, about who's getting further ahead. And by the time you're 20 years out, you've kind of mellowed out and you just get together and talk about your kids. And what I have noticed is that Uh, You know, it's very strange having gone to a place like Harvard Business School. um, Just for the record, I was raised in a traveling New Age commune. I was the farthest thing from a Harvard MBA that you would ever suspect and I basically applied to the school on a dare and got in and just went. So I am not your typical Harvard MBA material. And one of the things that has been interesting has been seeing the paths of my classmates after graduation and what they have done and what I have done and talking with them about it. And some of my classmates are in very, very impressive places. I have at least a couple who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And in talking with them about their lives and in looking at my life and so on, there was just no question at all that that they have far more money and status and power and fame and all those great things than I do. And yet, when I hear a lot about their life, I just have no desire to switch places with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And w- when you're comparing, you know, and, th- and the other thing that people really don't appreciate is the role of luck and circumstance. Uh, if the elections in 2016, this has been an interesting year. Right? I have, this has been one of my biggest personal development years. And one of the things that it's really taught me about is this whole notion of, of how the circumstances that you're born into have such a huge impact on your life that if you are the if you are the little boy in science class the teacher says, "Oh, look what a scientist you are." And if you're the little girl in science class, the teacher says, "Oh, wouldn't you rather do something more like home ec?" And and it's easy to say, you know, oh, well, the little boy had the willpower to stick with it. Yeah, well, the little boy was also given nothing but encouraging messages. Mm-hmm. If the little boy had been told he should do, do home ec, in fact, you know, at at the risk of opening the kimono a little bit too much here, when I was in business school, I was, I was an engineer prior to business school. I went into business school and took the marketing class. And I decided that as much as I thought that engineering was important for the world, and in fact... If you look around, every single thing probably within your eyesight was created by scientists and engineers. I mean, mm-hmm. they are the ones who are responsible for all of this. Uh, however, in business, the science and the engineering takes a backseat to marketing because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how great your inventions are and how amazing your products are. The The bottleneck, in at least in our current capitalistic society… Right is the bottleneck is marketing. It's getting it out there and getting people to know about it and getting people to pay for it. I went to my marketing professor and I said, I think marketing is the most important thing there is and I want to learn about it. And he looked at me and he said, are you kidding? It would be an insult to the author to even recommend a book about marketing to you. you your brain is so different from how marketers think. So I'm not going to give you a list of resources. I think you should do something else. And in that moment, I decided, oh, I can never do marketing. And then that was it. That completely killed, that completely derailed me, killed any career I would have had in marketing. And the funny part is, is now looking at that in hindsight, many, many years later, I actually think I have a considerably better marketing sense than most people who are professional marketers. Mm -hmm. It's just like the little girl in science class. I was the little boy, I was the little engineer in marketing class. And I made the mistake of listening to the teacher. And that one, that one moment of circumstance changed the course of my life and when you're comparing yourself against someone else you need to understand that that you know yes maybe they're more successful than you or you're more successful than them but circumstance and luck plays probably a larger role than individual effort yeah, you know, yes, you have to be there to seize the brass ring when it goes by. But if you get on the merry-go-round and you happen to be in the horse in the outermost ring that's at the exact same level as the brass ring, it's going to be a lot easier for you to seize it than the person who is three horses into the middle of the of the the carousel, you know, on the horse that's that's way up at the top of the thing, so that it's out of arm's reach for them.
0: That is a very interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about it in that way before. so that is definitely a very interesting perspective. So I, I think you know it gives everybody so much food for thought. I mean, all the different things, the stories that you've told today, the examples that you've given, um the step by step that you gave in terms of removing yourself from technology, deliberately reflecting, pay attention to the reactions in your body, get clear on what makes you happy, and then set out to, you know go and create it, I think is just so powerful and so important. Um, you know, and, and I think that one of the things I talk about on the show a lot is that, you know, the, the formal education that we get doesn't teach us the things that we need to succeed and live a full and happy life. And I think that's a lot of the work obviously that you're doing now with, with the workshops and everything. So tell us more, um, really quickly, Stever, about the, the new work that you're doing with the, the workshops around creating extraordinary life and how people can get in touch with you to learn more about them.
1: Sure. Well, at the moment it's all under development. So the answer is there's nothing, there's nothing currently up on my website. But if you, if you actually just text the word extraordinary or extra O to 33444, it will, it will uh, ask for your email address and then it'll send you, um, boy, I forget what it sends you. It sends you a link to the, my living and extraordinary life presentation and it adds you to my mailing list so that you'll be notified as soon as I do have some products and services around this. But the basic idea, as I mentioned before, is that I want to I want to create the curriculum that you just mentioned didn't exist. I want to create the curriculum that I believe schools should be teaching, which is all of the really foundational skills for building the life that you want, which might mean going and getting a job in a corporation, in which case the skills you need is how to negotiate a good entrance package, how to actually find those kinds of jobs, how to talk your way into them if you don't have the paper experience they want you to have, so on and so forth. Or it might mean entrepreneuring, or it might mean doing some type of freelancing, whatever those the business side of the skills are. And then the happiness side of the skills are is a whole set of things which need to be integrated. Um, and actually, I, I do it in the other direction. I think that our culture teaches us to pursue success and career first and then say, well, and hopefully once you're being successful and have a career, you can kind of figure out a way to squeeze happiness and fulfillment in around that. And I think you should do it in the other order. I think you should really get clear on happiness and fulfillment and start creating a life that gives you those things and then fit your work around the happiness and the fulfillment. Uh, It would be great if you could get paid for being happy and fulfilled, but if that were the case, then everyone would have a job that they love. So that's not the case, but you can still find ways to make it work.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely brilliant. Couldn't agree more. Build the life that you want first, then you know take the steps to get the education and then the work that, that fills in those gaps and supports you in achieving it. Brilliant. I absolutely love it. Stever, thank you so much for the wisdom, the knowledge, the insight that you shared today. You were an awesome guest on the show. Really appreciate you coming on.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, and for everybody listening, thanks so much for being with us for this episode of Unstoppable Success Radio. If you're looking for business strategies, tips, videos, audios to help you on your entrepreneurial journey, all you have to do is text the word IGNITE to 44222 to join my private community for the resources I only share there. Thanks so much, and until next time, I wanna remind you to dream big, take action, and don't stop until you make it happen. Thanks so much